Yes, this is another edition of our Bible 101 uh, Roundtable Discussion Series, and today we're going to actually be discussing the subject of baptism. We're going to talk about several facets of baptism. Before we get into that, let me introduce our special guests on the show. Uh, Brother Greg Ross is here. And yes, thank you. Yes, thank you, Brother Mills. We are here in the bunker, so to speak, in the Sunday school room at your tabernacle in Willowsburg, Ohio. Good to be here. And Brother Eric Seaman is here. Yes, also good to be here. Okay, before we actually get into our discussion, I want to bring up with our guest the word baptize. Brother Ross, when you hear the word baptize or baptism, what do you think about? Well, I, I did jot down a few things here that, that came to my mind when we were talking about this all-important subject. And number one, I think when I read through the New Testament, and any, anybody that starts reading the Bible, especially in the New Testament, uh, if they're new in church, if they've been reading all their life, you're going to come across baptism over and over and over again in the New Testament. John the Baptist baptized people. Jesus taught and preached on baptism. The Apostle Peter preached baptism for uh, baptized people. The Apostle Paul, and so on and goes. So all through the New Testament, uh, we see this subject of baptism come up. So uh, based on that alone, I think it's very important that we know uh, what is baptism and why is it important. Uh, and then when I think of the Old Testament, when we see what we see about baptism in the New Testament, uh, many times, and some people believe you can go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, when the Bible says that the Spirit of God moved on the face of the water. So very early in the in in the creation and the Word of God, we see that water is important. And then in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11, that the earth was, in a sense, baptized in Noah's day by the flood during that time. In fact, Peter made mention of it in First Peter chapter 3, verse 21, that the like figure or the type were into baptism that also save us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, I'm not going to read all that, but it basically is a history of Israel being delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea, and that is a portrayal of baptism. So we see baptism is not just a New Testament subject. It was, it was foreshadowed and, and in a type in, in the Old Testament. And in then the, in the, in the uh, tabernacle in the wilderness, the tabernacle column with the uh, brazen altar where the sacrifices are made, and right in front of the tent where the holy place was was the brazen laver, and uh, it was made out of brass and mirrors. Those mirrors were donated by some women. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 38 and verse 8. And the priests were to wash in the laver. Exodus chapter 30 and uh, verse 19 says, For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat at the brazen laver. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, and that they die not. That's how important it was for them to wash in that laver. At verse 21, so they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. Praise God, and it shall be a statue forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. You can compare that to what uh, Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is what baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So I think, I think when we think on, uh, on baptism, we see it all through the Bible. Yes, that's excellent. How about you, Brother Eric? What do you think of when you hear the word baptize or baptism? 
And now we're going to actually begin the discussion on baptism, and we're going to kind of overlap some of those themes here. Uh, it's okay to repeat some certain themes, but we're going to talk about it more in depth. Let me just begin the discussion by talking about what is baptism, okay? The first time it's actually mentioned in the Bible, specifically stated and called baptism, is in the book of Matthew, chapter number 3. And if you have your Bibles, please follow along with us. We're going to be talking about this and uh, the best way to understand what we're talking about is to just read it for yourself. But uh, I also want to point out that it did predate John the Baptist, the subject of baptism, but only as some t sort of ritual purifying act. Uh, certain uh, sects of the Jews, I'm thinking of the Essenes, I'm thinking of the Pharisees, there were different groups, baptized Gentile converts, and the purpose of baptism then was to wash away their Gentile impurities. But John the Baptist came and was the first to preach baptism uh, of repentance. And in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Skipping down to verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. That's an important point to bring out too. Uh, not only were they baptized, but there was an act that went with that baptism. It wasn't just a ritual. They actually confess their sins. And if you wonder what they confess, if you look in the book of Luke and compare it, and I'm not going to take time to read it, uh, but actually what happened is there were some tax collectors that came to him and said, what shall we do? And he said, stop taking more than what you need to take. And uh, the Roman soldiers came to him, what shall we do? And he said, well, uh, you know, don't take advantage of people and be content with your wages. Uh, so he was telling them, you need to change your lifestyle. It wasn't just a 
ritual act, in other words. It was uh, it demanded a lifestyle change. Now, according to the book of Acts chapter 19, verse 4, Paul uh, talked about John's baptism. This is what he said. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So... Notice he called it the baptism of repentance. Why did he call it that? Repentance obviously means to do an about face, to change direction. Uh, one translation, I believe it's the New Living Translation, says stop sinning and turn to God. That's literally what it means. It, you know, soldiers marching along, you say about face, they turn direction, they start walk, walking the other direction. It means stop your sinning, uh, change your lifestyle, turn toward God. And it, it literally is talking about not just a change of physical action, but also a change of mindset. It's about a change of the way you think. So John came and he preached a baptism of repentance. The reason he preached this is he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Obviously talking about the kingdom that Jesus is going to bring forth. And uh, his baptism actually prepared the people's hearts for the coming of the Messiah. Now, one thing I do think is important to note is that Jesus himself was baptized. Uh, this is a point that some people may not think is all that important, but Jesus was our sublime example. Uh, everything that Jesus did, I believe we ought to strive to do. We ought to be more like him, God in flesh. And he came and he was baptized. And his words were this, to fulfill all righteousness. So if Jesus felt it was important to fulfill all righteousness, and part of that was being baptized, I think we need to be baptized. Now guys, at this point, do y'all have anything to add to this? Well, yes, one, one thing I point out is, is um, that he went into the water, he, and then he came straightway out of the water. I would like to make mention of the fact that uh, there are uh, church groups out there that want to say that, that uh, sprinkling someone with water is acceptable as baptism, but baptizo, uh, uh, it means to submerge. And when we read the scriptures in the Bible, and I think we may have some other ones later, but uh, Jesus, when he was baptized, uh, there you read it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, he was baptized and went straight up out of the water. Yes. Uh, baptism is full of immersions. Acts chapter 8, uh, 38 and 39 talks about Philip, I believe. They went down into the water and they came up out of the water. Yes. And then the very definition of the word itself is to submerge or to fully uh, to be fully immersed and that, that's the point I wanted to make about that yes the in Matthew 3 verses 16 and 17 Jesus when he was baptized went up straightway out of the water just for those of you that don't know the scripture he's talking about uh, but if you look at the Greek word baptizo, it means literally this, to make whelmed, that is fully wet, to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge. Uh, it means to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe, to overwhelm. And I read this in a commentary and I thought it was interesting. The clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicandor, who lived about 200 BC. It is a recipe for making 
making pickles, and is helpful because it uses both words. Nicandor says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, bapto, into boiling water, and then baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution, but the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetables produces a permanent change. So you see there uh, that the Greek word very clearly indicates going all the way under the water, not just sprinkling. Uh, let me stop here at least to say this, and maybe you guys will have something to add to it. Uh, but I do think it's worth mentioning that one of the reasons people are tempted to sprinkle is because it's convenient. And uh, for instance, let's just paint a scenario. Let's say you've got a relative that's on their deathbed that finally sees the need to be baptized. And they say, I want to get baptized, but um, obviously for health reasons and, and the fact that, uh, you know, uh, it would be impossible for me to get fully under the water. Do you just think I could be sprinkled? Well, the temptation would be, well, sure, let's do it that way because obviously circumstances demand it. But can I tell you this, that the Bible is never about convenience. It is always about obedience. And uh, I, I think that's an important point to make. Brother Eric, I'd like for you to tell the story about when Drew got baptized, if you don't mind. Maybe this will just kind of help some people to understand that even in difficult circumstances, it is still possible to baptize by full immersion. Yes. Um, well, we had a, a lady at the nursing home, and uh, named Drew, and uh, she is a... Uh, Elderly lady who has no use of her legs from her um, waist down, um, and is totally confined to a wheelchair, not able to uh, put any kind of weight on her legs at all, be able to walk and go down into any kind of water, that kind of thing. And uh, she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It became evident that we were going to have to baptize this lady who had been baptized, and I'm going to throw this part in too. She had been had been baptized previously, and title uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and. Uh, she uh, we seen her need for baptism and came to me and talked to me about what we could do about baptizing. And we went through different ways we were going to do it. And the nursing home wasn't being real cooperative in how they wanted us to, to do it. And uh, the director had, had came to us and asked us, well, will we agree to let her be baptized, but, you know, can't you just speak her? And so we had to go through, you know, the, the whole process of explaining how the Bible gave us uh, direct orders to uh uh, the scripture that I had given to him was in Colossians also 2.12, where the Bible says, buried with him in baptism. You can't be buried under a little bit of sprinkled water. And so uh, we, we brought that about, and also using the you know the Greek word we already talked about, baptizo. But uh, in, in doing so, we had to go through a lot of hurdles, a lot of problems there to uh, get her baptized. But eventually God worked it out to where we could uh, get a swimming pool uh, that was used for therapy, whatever, we used a a lift machine and lowered her down into the water and uh, me and a friend of mine helped uh, to balance her in the water as our pastor was able to baptize her in Jesus name and uh, when she came up out of the water she was speaking in another tongue as God filled with the Holy Ghost all over again and uh, the words that she told me the next time we came to, sun, uh, came to the service we had there uh, she, she told me she said I had been baptized previously and after being baptized in Jesus name I know there's a difference because she said, I felt totally different after being baptized. I could feel changed. I felt clean. I felt different. And so uh, she, she, her Lord, she, God gave us an example right there before our eyes that uh, there is a difference in how, how you're baptized and, and uh, 
that, you know, God will honor you if you obey his word. Um, you know, if we would have sprinkled her a little bit, she might have felt good in her, about herself, but I don't think that feeling of cleanliness, that, that feeling of uh, uh, being changed, being totally, uh, you know, sins being washed away would have been there had she been sprinkled. So, yeah, sometimes you got to go through a process, but like you said, Brother Mills, uh, God honors obedience, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, another thing I, I just want to point out, too, where does the uh, convenience stop? Because if you're going to make allowances for certain situations, where does it stop? So we could go along a long, a long line of talking about holiness. Well, the Bible demands holiness, and it demands separation from the world. But then you could say, well, for the sake of convenience, because this person's been an alcoholic all their life, they can't break the addiction, uh, I think we need to make an allowance for them to be able to drink uh, because of convenience. You know, where does it stop? That's my point. And so, it's again, it's not about convenience. It's about obedience. Okay. Okay, getting back to the subject at hand, uh, we talked about how John the Baptist baptized for repentance. It was a baptism of repentance and how that they would confess their sin when they were baptized. But then in the age of the church, it took on a different uh, significance. And that's what we really want to talk about here today. In the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and if you're not familiar with the story, please take time to go through uh, the Apostles Doctrine series and some of our other rounds table discussions where we go more in depth in this but for the sake of time I'm just going to go right to the point and in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 Peter says this then Peter said unto them repent and there it is again so you see remember John the Baptist baptized for repentance it's so repentance is still a part of it and uh, he said then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized now let me stop there just to say repentance preceded baptism and I think that's an important point because without repentance, it's nothing more than just an act that will do you no good. You've got to repent. It, there's Repentance still has to be the key to this situation uh, because he said, repent first. And then he said, and be baptized, every one of you. So not some of you, not a few of you, not the ones that think it's convenient, uh, not when you feel like it. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, more on that later, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, first of all, I want to break down talking about in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this is about applying the name. In Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, it says this, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Talking about the lame man that was healed. And then he said, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So what is the name of Jesus? It means Jehovah is salvation. There is no other name that can save us. So the first of all, he said it had to be in the name of Jesus. You guys have anything you want to add to that? Yes, Brother Mills. Um, what we've established so far is, uh, I think, two points on baptism. Number one, it's an act of cleansing or washing. Uh -huh. Number two, spiritual burial. We've talked about the mode of baptism, which is full immersion in water, and now we're all talking about the formula of baptism, which is calling on the name of Jesus uh, as you're being baptized, or uh, the individual baptizing the person calling on the name of Jesus. And um, <clears throat> I, 
I jotted down First Corinthians chapter one verse thirteen when Paul said, "Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul?" Uh, and we know in Acts chapter two, or Acts chapter twenty-two, verse sixteen, uh, Paul called on who at his baptism? He called on the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so the obvious point that Paul is making is: Was Paul crucified for you? No, he was. Jesus. Uh, were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, whose name were you baptized in? Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given amongst uh, men whereby we must be saved. Uh, so in the name of Jesus is the formula, and it is for the remission of sins. Uh, that's how we, that's, that's how we, when we talk about Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary, that's how the blood is applied. Matthew 26, verse 28 says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Mm-hmm. And Peter, Peter commanded to be baptized for the remission of sins, and the blood of Jesus brings remission of sins. And Luke, he said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, Jesus' name. We take on his name, and we take on his blood. And I also say to you that in, in Colossians 3.17, the Bible says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all remember the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. And so I think they would agree that whatever you do in word or deed, the baptism doesn't require, require both of those, a deed of actually doing the baptizing and in, in word by the, the name you're calling on. So whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3.17, that's all thing I would believe. Amen. Yes, excellent. So, Brother Ross brought up the point about Matthew 26, 28, Jesus talking about this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then Peter said we're baptized for the remission of sins. That tells us that that's the application of the blood. If I can go back to typology, um, and I know this is a deep subject, but I'm just going to make this point quickly. Brother Ross, at the beginning of this discussion, referred to the laver, the brazen laver. Okay, if you look at... Uh, the typology here, it's a type of baptism, and the priest had to wash in the brazen labor before he went into the sanctuary, and the Bible says it was such a necessity that God said that he die not. So if he did not wash, he would die. And one thing that's important to bring out is, when did he wash? Okay, one of the reasons the brazen labor was there is so that the priest would be clean, and he mentioned the, the mirrors that would show him his condition to make sure that he was clean before he went before the Lord. Well, Well, uh, one of the reasons he needed to be clean is because he would be covered in blood after sacrifices. So he would walk over to this water, and he would wash in the water. And do you think there was blood in the water? Absolutely. There was blood in the water. Uh, That's a beautiful type of baptism in the name of Jesus. You may see just clear, clean water, but when you're going down, blood is being applied to your life. Blood is being uh, put on your life. And then another beautiful type of baptism is at the Red Sea. Uh, I think just in and of itself, the name Red Sea uh, should tell you something there. So obviously, what is the color of blood? It's red. And the Bible says that the Egyptians, Egypt, 
Egypt is a type of the world, Pharaoh is a type of the devil. Uh, when Egypt tried to come into the Red Sea, Israel crossed over through the Red Sea. Uh, but when Egypt tried to come through the Red Sea, sin or Egypt was drowned. And it's the same thing with baptism. Your sins cannot follow you into the waters of baptism in Jesus' name. They get washed away. It's for the remission and removal of sins. So just several beautiful types of baptism in the Old Testament. Uh, just wanted to bring that out before we move forward here. Now, there's an interesting fact to point out is that when you take on his name, you also take on his blood. And uh, this has been mentioned a few times, but it's a type of burial. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it says this, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, that we'll come back to that later, were baptized into his death, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So notice, buried with him, we identify with him in baptism. What? We identify with his burial. So, remember, Peter mentioned three things. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, uh, Jesus said in one place, repent ye and believe the gospel. That's in the book of Mark. And then you can read that uh, we also need to obey the gospel. Well, how can you obey the gospel? The gospel is, you can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, how can you obey that? Well, it, this is how it is. Number one, uh, we identify with his death by repentance. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So our old man is crucified with him. That's repentance. Remember, it's putting the flesh to death. It's, it's putting sin to death in your life. Secondly, we identify with his burial by baptism. Book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's already been mentioned you don't bury somebody by sprinkling with them with dirt. Uh, the very word baptize means to fully immerse. Uh, and then also, thirdly, we identify with this resurrection by receiving the power of the Holy Ghost. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, but you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, what? He's already mentioned it's the spirit of Christ, the Holy Ghost. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. So you identify with his death through repentance. You identify with his burial through baptism. You identify with his resurrection through the power of the Holy Ghost, which is going to resurrect us on the last day. Do you guys have anything to add to that? I would also say something that came to mind here when he was uh, making some comments there. And I had this originally written down. I was going to mention it at one point. I thought just throw it in here now. Um, is that how baptism, we talked about a little bit ago, how it does require obedience. And that in every instance, things that we talked about in the type of shadows and all this, that go back to the flood. Uh, Noah got on the ark because of the direct obedience to what God had told him to do. God told him to take his children, his family, get on the ark. And because of that, God spared him. And everything that Noah knew about life had been different, had been washed away when he came off the ark. 
And so that's kind of the thing I thought about baptism. And also when you mentioned the Red Sea, um, it wasn't just a simple fact that the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, but they first turned their back on Egypt and walked away. And that was because of a direct result of the command of Moses. And so, and then you can obviously get into that being that we find out that Peter commanded Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, 1048, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And so it is an act of obedience also that, that we are told time and time throughout the scripture to uh, arise and wash away thy sins. And then, then, of course, Peter telling them on the day of, uh, day of Pentecost, Acts 238, to repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. So there's a lot of commanding that's done, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that we have to follow. I, you know, we follow the example of Jesus. And I think part of that, too, I know we, we already talked about that, but Jesus did it as an example so that we would have an example to follow and, and, and follow by obedience. So to uh, just wanted to throw that in there that, uh, you know, we a lot of times we take out the importance of the man of God, the importance of what uh, is being taught. So, you know, we, we think about a lot of people that doesn't understand baptism. And it goes back to this, not necessarily... Uh, that they don't understand it or that they don't want to understand it, but it's it's what's being taught to them today. A lot of people take baptism out of the whole experience and, and say it isn't important and it's not for us today. But thank God for a man of God, thank God for the Word of God that gives us a command and we actually understand it and study it and we see that there's a commandment that has to be obeyed that we are to be baptized. Yes, excellent, excellent points, Brother Eric. Uh, also, let me just say this, that taking on somebody's name is talking about taking on somebody's identity name speaks of identity and in bible times names were more significant than today you know today we have children we think johnny sounds like a good name so we name our kid johnny or sarah or whatever but in bible times names spoke of character uh i can use a few examples for instance i will call her eve because she's the mother of all the living he'll be called abraham because he's going to be the father of many nations so i He's going to be called Isaac because of laughter, because all that see him will laugh that uh, we had a child in our old age. So names were about more than just sounding cool. They were about identity. They were about character. And when you take on the name of Jesus, it's more than just taking on his name. It's taking on his identity, taking on his character, but also tied into that is taking on his mission, identifying with what he came to do. Uh, And so... Let me just bring out a few points to kind of uh, seal this or drive it home. The book of Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This came from a commentary. It says, Paul used the image of a person after being baptized emerging from the water to put on new clothes. So now you bear the name of Jesus. And, And obviously in marriage what happens? The wife takes on the husband's name. They are joined together and the two become one flesh, okay? So in the same way, you're married to Christ. We're called the bride of Christ, right? And that means you take on his name. The two become one flesh. Uh, But also remember the principle of marriage is a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. But in order for them to become one, there has to be leaving, there has to be cleaving. So in this case, you're repenting. You're leaving your old lifestyle behind. You're leaving your old identity. 
identity behind. You're cleaving unto that new spouse, which is Christ, and you take on his name, you take on his character, you take on his mission. Okay, so if you're going to take on his name, his identity, your lifestyle needs to change. In, in the same way, the marriage covenant, when a wife takes on her husband's name, she better leave the old boyfriends behind, better leave the old, uh, you know, the old things behind and, and cleave to her husband. Uh, in the same way, you got to leave that old lifestyle behind. There ought to be a change. So in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now in a second, I'm going to get into bearing his name in vain, but you guys have anything to add to that? Well, it's a beautiful thing, um, taking on the name of Jesus in baptism. And uh, I know that we are going to talk in just a little while about Matthew 28, 19. Um, and we've already made mention of several scriptures that, that talk about the name of Jesus in baptism. But just to pause and talk about the beauty of it. Brother uh, Bill, how old were you when you were baptized in Jesus' name? I was about 12 years of age. Brother Eric, how old were you when you were about six years old? And um, I was 22 years old, and uh, some years before that, uh, someone had told me that I needed to be baptized, and I said, okay, and they took me to a place I'd never been before, and there were a lot of people there, and it was a, a called a church of some sort, and uh, the man took me up there in front of a rather large group of people, and uh, he said, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, he dumped me in the water, I got out, I dried off, I left, and I've never been there before, I never went back there, I don't even remember where the place is at, and uh, nothing changed in my life. And uh, but then one day, somebody, I was praying in the night, and somebody opened up the Bible, and they said, the Bible says you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. But just, just that one phrase alone took on a whole new meaning to me. And I looked at the Bible, and I said, it sure does. That's exactly what it says. And uh, I repented of my sins, and I said, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, up to that very day, I've been dealing dope. I, that same day, earlier in that day, I had taken drugs, and uh, I was not under the influence at, at that time. That was earlier in the day. But um, the, they took me up there, and they, they buried me with Christ and called on the name of Jesus, and my sins were washed away. And I, I can tell you by doing one way compared to the other, I felt like a hundred pound backpack came off my back that night. And I know you guys were younger when you were baptized, but I suspect you kind of remember what it was like the night you were baptized. Yes, absolutely I do. I do. And uh, let me just kind of tag on to a little uh, point you made about your testimony and the difference baptism made in your life. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit talking about uh, let him that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You take on his name, you take on his character, you take on his mission. So your lifestyle better change. And a lot of people baptize as nothing more than just a public declaration of a private faith and some churches will tell you that's the only reason you should be baptized they don't say you have to be they don't say it's a necessity they just say well it's a good idea because it's a public declaration of a private faith uh, and before I go further brother Ross you did have a point you wanted to make about that talking about the Ethiopian eunuch yeah that and, and 
right before I say that, number one, when you take on the name of Jesus, you don't want to take it, take on that name in vain. You don't want to bring reproach to that name. I represent the name of Jesus now, and my life needs to needs to reflect that. <clears throat> I was, and, and we talked about things being changed for convenience. I, I was, I, I looked this up. This was. We talk about the Nicene Creed. This is AD 381. This is what was stated in that Creed in 381 AD. We believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. This is a quote from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Lord himself affirms that baptism is necessary for salvation, John 3, 5. The Christian belief that baptism is necessary for salvation is so unshakable that even the Protestant Martin Luther affirmed the necessity of baptism. He wrote, Baptism is no human plaything, but is instituted by God himself. Moreover, the solemnly and strictly commanded that we must be baptized or we shall not be saved. And I'm reading this from the Catholic Church, and it goes on to quote Justin Martin and Tertullian and Augustine and all that. But after reading what I just read there, and, and, and that's right on, that's right out of the Bible. And yet, the very next, the very next statement says, yet Christians have also always realized that the necessity of water baptism is a normative rather than an absolute necessity. And so, and so not only has the, the convenience of sprinkling, you know, well, people don't want to be buried, or they don't want to be dumped in water and get all wet and so on and so forth, so we'll just sprinkle. Well, it's gone beyond that. Now they say, well, it's not an absolute necessity to be baptized. And if you are, it's just to show other people that you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. And uh, that, that is often taught in the Trinitarian circles and denominational churches. But, but look, at, look at Acts chapter 8. Look at Acts chapter 8 and, and, uh, and verse uh, 30, or, uh, verse 38 and 39. Uh, and I'm not going to read it. I'll just. You know, just take the time to read in Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 38, 39, so on. Phil uh, approached the eunuch and he talked to him about the things of the Lord. And when they got done, they said, Well, we, I need to be baptized. And they, they got down out of the church, they went down in the water, they came up out of the water, and he was baptized in Jesus' name. There was no crowd there. Who was he being a witness to? Baptism is not about some kind of outward show of, to be a witness to people. It's to obey the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Brother Eric, you got anything to add? Um, I would just say the fact that, um, you know, like Brother Ross is kind of a little bit about what I was, I was going to say something more about the Ethiopian eunuch, about how, they were, you know, he didn't do it as a witness to anybody because there was obviously no one there. But uh, I mentioned to a guy one time who, not too long ago, was talking to me, that talked about the sprinkling was in the, in the Bible, and I, and I had never seen a verse or anything about that. And, uh, and he talked about how the, there's a different sorts of baptisms and the baptism of uh, water and obviously the baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptism of different things being mentioned. And he said just like the Bible refers to the Holy Ghost as being baptism, but it says it was poured out upon them. And I thought, you've got to really be twisting scripture a whole lot to get to that. So then my reply to him was, and I said, well, then why don't you just go stand out in the wind and get baptized? 
And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, because the Bible also says that the Holy Ghost came in like a mighty rushing wind. <laughs> and so therefore, if you just stand in the wind, that would, that would work too. That would suffice. So I mean, you could just make, make up baptism to be whatever you would rather be, whatever you want it to be. But thank God we've got scripture that proves and tells us that, you know, we understand how baptism is supposed to be and have been brought about. Um, and going back to my previous point that I didn't even mention too about uh, it being a commandment about how the preacher is involved, uh, Acts chapter 19 talks about the Apostle Paul finding certain believers in Ephesus, and he came to them and said, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He kind of got up in their business a little bit and wanted to find out, Have you actually done everything you're supposed to be doing? Because if it was just for a witness, they had already done that on the job, he would have said, I look good, you know, everyone knows you believe because you've already been baptized. But he made it a point to, to make an emphasis on how was you baptized. Have you received over since you believe? And then under what baptism was you baptized? And so, uh, you know, it goes back to um, a preacher there being uh, kind of nudging him a little bit to say, hey, it's got to be more than just doing it your way or doing what, you know, uh, appeasing people and, and, well, you know, I got baptized by John, so therefore everything's okay. But you need to do it by the Bible way, the way that God says to do it. And obviously we understand that the Apostle Paul preached and was baptized in Jesus' name, preached baptism in Jesus' name, and then also in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 tells us that there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So it's not up to your own philosophy. Very good. Excellent points, both of you. Uh, one thing I might add, and we'll, we might get back into this later, but before I forget, I want to add this. In Acts chapter 19, he referred to it. When Paul baptized the believers of John the Baptist, they had already been baptized under John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. Now, if it's nothing more than just a public declaration of a private faith, why would they need to be rebaptized? But what was the difference between the baptism of Paul and the baptism of John? The application of the name of Jesus. It does make a difference how you're baptized. And somebody might be listening to this and say, well, I was baptized in Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Do I really have to get rebaptized? Well, let me just say this. It's not just about going under in water. It is about the application, the invoking of the name of Jesus. So I think that's an important point to make. Uh, now, let me at least make this point, too, talking about taking on the name. And we're backtracking here a little bit, but uh, I don't, I don't want to leave this point out. There's one of the Ten Commandments that's often overlooked in the book of Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain okay to explain this passage a little bit in the book of Exodus chapter 20 uh, it's known as the commandments that God gives and he starts it off this way I am the Lord thy God which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt so Obviously, if somebody was purchasing slaves, he had the right to tell those slaves what to do. They were his property. He owned them. Well, God said, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. You're my property now. Uh, and so, therefore, you're going to do what I tell you to do, and I have the right to give you those these commandments, okay? So, they are his property. Now, <clears throat> what a slave does, obviously, is going to, uh, uh, is going to reflect who his master is, right? So, 
So if a slave is rebellious, uh, who's it going to go back to? His master. If a slave steals from somebody else's property, who are they going to go to? The master uh, to make it right. And so in the same way, this is God's property. It mattered how they acted. And so one of the things God tells him is, don't take my name in vain. Now, we often think about taking the name of the Lord in vain as somebody saying, you know, the name of Jesus in the wrong context, using it as a curse word. But it meant more than that. And I pulled this from a commentary, and I thought this was good. In ancient times, misusing the name of the Lord could have meant failing to fulfill a sworn oath or making an oath with the in intention of deceiving someone. Those who swore an oath in the Lord's name called on him to bring punishment if they did not keep the promise or tell the truth. And it gives several references there. Those who do so in vain were acting as if his presence as a witness were not important. By extension, this command would also apply when a person attach the Lord's name to an activity contrary to his character or will, resulting in certain punishment. In a sense, misusing the Lord's name misrepresented his character, purposes, and actions revealed to the people of Israel, which amounted to lying about who God is. I thought that was excellent. And uh, maybe, do you guys have anything to add to that before we get into Matthew 28, 19? Well, this is kind of jumping ahead because I know you said somewhere you got in your notes about the circumcision, but I would mention that um, Abraham, obviously this is a, a different lesson in itself getting into the how Lincoln the baptism with circumcision, but um, Abraham, when he got circumcised at the age of 99 years old, got circumcised on the same day that he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And so it is kind of a taking on the name of, you know, the, the name and circumcision correlates there. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. And I'm also, on another note, I had an aunt who uh, was baptized in Tyler, Tyler, and Holy Ghost, um, been in nominal churches all of her life, smoked cigarettes like crazy most of her life for 30 years. I just came to church here. Uh, this has been, I don't know, uh, you know, my aunt probably put 20 years ago or more. Um, that when she got, she got baptized in Jesus' name, the minute she went into the water and came out of the water, never had a desire to smoke again. God delivered her from cigarettes instantly. And I remember her making a statement because she didn't have a whole revelation of the oneness of God or, or the difference in how you were baptized and all that. I just remember her making a statement to my mom. She said, how come that didn't happen when I was baptized before? And so, you know, then that led us to be able to teach her a Bible study about how, you know, that it does make a difference in the name that is applied when you're baptized. Yes, excellent. Brother Ross, you got anything to add? Yes. Okay. Now we're going to talk about Matthew 28:19. Now we're not going to focus on this too much because we've touched on this in previous discussions. But I did think it's worth mentioning Matthew 28:19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. Okay. Stop. Now, if baptism's not essential, notice what Jesus is saying here. He's talking to, if you back up to previous verses, these are his his disciples, the 11. Just back up and read it. It says the 11. So he's talking to the 11 disciples. He's not talking to unlearned and ignorant men uh, that don't know about the commands of Jesus. Obviously, the Bible does call them unlearned and ignorant in the sense that they didn't graduate from the schools, the rabbinic schools and things of that nature, but that didn't mean they were stupid. Uh, these 
men had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They had seen his miracles firsthand. Uh, and so Jesus, if you look in the book of Luke chapter 24, he made them to understand the scriptures. So he tells them in this context, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Okay, teach all nations, that means make disciples of all nations. Then he says how to make disciples of all nations. Watch this, baptizing them. So how you make disciples is you baptize them. Okay, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, we've mentioned this previously, but just for the sake of those that haven't heard that, name of the Father, John 5:43. Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. The name Jesus means Jehovah, name of the Old Testament God, has become salvation. So he said, I came in my Father's name. You can also read in the book of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So the Son is called the Everlasting Father. And then also, what about the name of the Son? Matthew 1, 21, and she shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then thirdly, the name of the Holy Ghost, John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, let me stop here to make a point. Uh, I read an article one time written by a uh, oneness apostolic, and he wasn't arguing that we don't need to baptize in Jesus' name, but he argued with our explanation of Matthew 28, 19, because of something he calls name theology. But let me just say this, without getting into an in-depth explanation of what name theology is all about, uh, he's talking about it's more than just the application of the name, etc., etc. But uh, it doesn't have to be complicated. This is an issue that isn't really all that complicated when it comes to how we're to baptize. And the reason I say that is the disciples understood Jesus' command, and they went out and they baptized. There's a difference between uh, repeating somebody and obeying somebody. And they did not repeat him. They obeyed his command. So let's look through it just real quick. We're going to cover these real fast. Uh, book of Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 8 to set the context. Uh, Philip preaches to the Samaritans. Uh, Peter and John come down pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 15 of Acts 8. Who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches to the Gentiles, skipping down, verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. <coughs> then prayed they him to tarry certain days. And then in Acts chapter 19, it's already been mentioned, so I'm going to skip down uh, to verse number uh, 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then in Acts 22, 16, Paul telling his testimony, and I said this to him, and now why tarriest thou rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Some other references, we've already read Romans 6, 3 and 4, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Okay, Galatians 3, 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 says, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom 
kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But watch this. But ye are washed. Okay, washed. Referring to baptism. But ye are sanctified. That means set apart. Made holy. But ye are justified. That means to be put on trial and found innocent. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That clearly is talking about baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And then, Brother Eric, you mentioned this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, just to get the context. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. How? How are you circumcised with Christ? Next verse. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Okay, but Eric, I'm going to tag on to that point you made, <coughs> excuse me, about circumcision. And circumcision obviously was the cutting off of the foreskin. It's how you got in covenant. In the book of Genesis chapter 17, verse 14, and the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So, New Testament circumcision is baptism. And uh, you can read that again in Colossians 2 and verse 11. But a man-child received his name often when he was circumcised. You can read in Luke chapter 1, verse 59. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. Now, this is from a commentary. In accord with the custom of naming a child on the day of his circumcision, see Leviticus 12, 1 through 3, and following the angel's instructions, Instructions, Elizabeth named her son John instead of Zacharias after his father, as the relatives wanted to do. So when you are circumcised according to New Testament salvation, you take on his name. Now, guys, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Brother Eric, uh, would you like to add anything? Genesis uh, 17, when God changed Abraham's name to Abram, uh, 
it happened to be right after he was he was circumcised the same day that his that his, his name got changed. So Corey, you know, we had a lot of uh, things the world names the world may know us by. But when we get baptized, we all go back into one body, they and being Jesus Christ. Yes, excellent, excellent points. Uh, I want to at least say this before we close this out. I had this argument used against me once to talk about whether or not baptism is essential. And I'm going to read it. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, a man pointed to this verse, and it says this in verse number 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So this man was using this verse to say, see, it must not be essential because Paul said Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach. And I looked at him and this was my response. I said, I agree with that and I didn't come just to baptize. And he kind of gave me a funny look. I said, of course I've come to preach. I said, if you preach the truth, baptism comes about because of preaching. So the primary mission is to preach. My primary mission is not to just go out in all the world and throw everybody into water and baptize. Them. If they don't understand why they're being baptized, it's not going to do them any good anyway. Uh, my primary mission is to preach the truth, and if I preach the truth, they will agree to baptism. They will be baptized. But to make a further point, you're taking Paul out of context. Uh, I forget how many scriptures I've read. I think it's 18 New Testament scriptures speak about baptism. You're picking one verse out of the entire Bible, completely ignoring the book of Acts, ignoring uh, everything that Paul has already written about baptism, and then you're picking out this one verse where he said, Christ sent me not to baptize, and you're trying to use that against baptism. You have to understand the context. Context is everything. What Paul is saying here is that the people are divided because one's saying, well, because Peter baptized me, I'm of Peter. I'm better than you. And another guy's saying, no, Apollo's baptized baptize me, so I'm better than you. And another guy's saying, well, I tell you what, I don't claim any of you guys. I'm of Jesus. And so there's all this division in the church. And what Paul's saying, because of this reason, I'm glad I didn't baptize a whole lot of you, so you couldn't claim that I'm your disciple. He said, you weren't baptized in the name of Paul. You weren't baptized in the name of Apollos. You were baptized into Christ. And, he's, and then in that context, he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So people were misunderstanding the purpose of baptism, and uh, they were applying it to being a certain person's disciple uh, because they were baptized by that person when, in reality, uh, they were actually uh, uh, being owned by Christ and not by these disciples uh, when they were baptized. Maybe you guys might have something to add to that. Um, yeah, here's some of my statements on some of this, Gordon
the at the minute that I, I I kind of was trying to get my thoughts together on, on what he was exactly referring to, and then, and then I reminded of Acts chapter eight and uh, verse sixteen, actually fifteen, verse fifteen and sixteen. I'll read it real quick. It says, "Who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet it has fallen upon none of them, only that they were baptized." Mm, good. Jesus. So they didn't do it as a sign of being saved. They were still looking to be saved. So therefore, we understand that this was part of salvation. And uh, so, you know, that part when I said that to him, he said he had never seen that before, that that people actually got baptized before they received salvation. And so uh, we know that, you know, when you do it in that, and actually in that order, it actually follows the exact order of the death, burial, you repent, you're baptized, and then obviously you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and walk in newness of life. So thank God for Jesus' name, baptism, because without it, we still have our sins. And the Bible says if the be no resurrection, then uh, we are still dead in him. So thank God we have the opportunity to be buried so that we can resurrect and have a new life. I do want to add several things to that because Brother Eric really got my mind working. Uh, Catholics teach that uh, infants are baptized, obviously, some by sprinkling, some will even dunk them, but they say at the point you're baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. However, Acts 8.16 totally refutes that idea, because it says, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them only, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And let me just add to that, that you will find infant baptism nowhere in your Bible. It does not exist. Uh, it's not in there. That's why we don't baptize infants. And the prerequisite for being baptized is to repent. And just to kind of prove that point, in the book of Matthew chapter 3, remember John baptized unto repentance, and it says in verse 6 of Matthew 3, sorry, backing up to verse 5, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, so apparently they came to be baptized, maybe as just kind of an act uh, to put on a little show to put on because all the crowds were accepting his baptism. Watch what he says. He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath worn you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And if you look up the, this phrase, it means bring forth fruit that proves your repentance. Uh, act in such a way that proves your repentance. In other words, he's saying, I'm denying you baptism. I will not baptize you uh, until first you bring forth fruit that proves your repentance. So this tells us that baptism should not be done by somebody that has not truly repented. So to somebody listening to this, uh, you may say, well, I need to be baptized. Well, I would I would tell you, make sure you have first repented of your sins. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but that does mean uh, the steps of repentance, and, and there's several things I could say about that, not necessarily the steps, but the ingredients of repentance. Uh, a godly sorrow worketh repentance. It ought to be a godly sorrow over uh, your condition before God. <clears throat> Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted and if you look that up he's talking about those that see their sinful condition before God and it makes them mourn uh, so you, it ought to bring a godly sorrow the Bible says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's 1 John 1 and 9 so you've got to confess them to God you've got to confess them uh, that doesn't mean literally you have to go through an A, B, C, D, E, F, G uh, but what that does mean is you confess and by that word confession means to see it like God sees 
sees it. You got to see it as sin. Uh, if you don't see your sinful lifestyle as sinful, you'll never be saved. You've got to see yourself like God sees you. Uh, Lord, help me not to get off on a rabbit trail here, but in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, uh, Isaiah the prophet has a vision. He comes before God. When he comes into the presence of a holy God, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Coming into the presence of a holy God caused him to see his sinful condition. Didn't mean that Isaiah was a man that, uh, you know, was out committing adultery and doing all these wicked things, but he realized I'm, I'm a human being. I'm in the presence of a holy God. I'm sinful. So it, it starts with, you've got to confess. And then uh, the Bible says, uh, he that covereth the sin shall not prosper, but whosoever for confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So you've got to have godly sorrow. You've got to confess. You've got to confess and forsake. It's not just about confession. That's uh, the problem with just going and confessing to a Catholic priest. It's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, you know, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. He doesn't have the authority to forgive you. Only Jesus does. Only the blood of Jesus can wash it away. And uh, especially if you're going to him and confessing. It's what I told one young man that I was working with. Uh, and he, he just said, you know, I can't get over the sin. I said, one of your problems is you're confessing to a Catholic priest. I said, but you have no intention of forsaking that sin. I said, you're trying to get forgiveness from this priest, but you have no intention of, of, of uh, forsaking it. You've got to confess it and forsake it. Uh, and I said, you know, that's not coming through confessing to a priest. That comes through repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Ghost gives you the power to overcome. And I, I know I've kind of opened up a can of worms here, but uh, we're going to try to close this discussion. But before we do, I just want to give you guys a chance to maybe make some closing comments. Brother Ross. <laughs>
said. It just says that Philip preached in Jesus. And so let us learn to, to understand that if um, you're going to get baptized, that it comes through Jesus and understanding the revelation of who Jesus actually is because Philip preached to him Jesus, and then there was the Ethiopian eunuch's idea that, hey, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? So we understand that he understood his need for baptism when he first understood who Jesus was. He had to understand the uh, revelation of Jesus, who, because who, he, when, when Philip got there, he didn't know. And he said, I don't understand what I'm reading. I don't understand what some man teach me. And so, uh, when Philip began to explain to him who Jesus was and, and to what Jesus, and, you know, you, you look at the story and it's about, you know, the prophecy of that Jesus was going to be suffering by and all this, that Jesus, uh, that the Ethiopian eunuch was going to have to fulfill the example of Jesus and die out to his sins. And then when, when he did that, then he realized that, you know, here's water, what does hinder me to be baptized? So I think what I, my point here is that the correlation between the two is knowing who Jesus is, and then you get to revelation that, that how you're baptized is, is not even an argument. Uh, so we've done proved that today. It's a pretty much a slam dunk when it comes to how you're baptized. Um, you know, the nominal world has the one scripture they get caught up on. But then again, we go back to uh, no one used that formula any other time in the Bible. The formula was never used. Uh, you know, it was brought about by the Catholic Church. We understand that. But all the way through, uh, all the disciples all, all baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ. And so all because it was brought about with Peter started when he said, upon this rock, I will build, when Jesus told him upon this rock, I will build my church upon the rock of revelation, the rock, the, the revelation of who Jesus is. So it goes back to that. And if you know who Jesus is, then you'll know how to get baptized. And when you get baptized in Jesus' name, it will change your life, make you different, you new, better than you've ever been before. Excellent, excellent. Excellent, both of you. This has been a great discussion. Let me just make this uh, comment in closing here and just tell you that if you're interested in getting baptized in Jesus' name, there is a way on uh, this Anchor podcast that you can comment. Uh, if you're listening on Podbean, you can leave a comment. Uh, and what we'll do is get you, depending on the area you're from, uh, we'll get you hooked up with somebody that will get you baptized in Jesus' name. Uh, can I tell you, it's an urgent matter. Uh, I will repeat what Ananias told Paul. Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It is an urgent matter. Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord in Acts 10 and in Acts 2. And uh, Paul said uh, that their experience was not complete in Acts 19 until they were baptized in Jesus' name and had received the Holy Ghost. So it is an urgent matter. You need to take care of it. Uh, uh, and also the Ethiopian eunuch said, what doth hinder me from being baptized? Can I ask you that question? What hinders you from being baptized in Jesus' name? It's not a hard thing to do. Just repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name. God will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So thank you for listening to the Bible 101 podcast. Please leave a comment if you got any questions and if you would like to be baptized. Thank you for listening.